This episode of Field to Fork was produced as part of the Seattle Good Business Network's Good Food Economy Program and supported by Eat Local First, home of the Washington Food and Farm Finder, Washington's source for local food. Find local farms, seafood, and more at eatlocalfirst.org. This is the Field to Fork podcast, where we take you on a deep dive into the local food economy of the Puget Sound region, from farming operations to fine dining and everywhere in between, going to the source to find out how food comes to be and gets to you, direct from the people making it happen. I'm your host, Keith Bacon, and with me is my new co-host, Becky Selengut. Hi, Becky. Well, hey, Keith. Happy Pride Month. Oh my God, the best month. (laughs) It is a month of celebration and rainbows, of course, everywhere, whether you like them or not. How long have you been out, Keith? Uh, me, I, I came out like when I was like 25, you uh-huh. know, so, and I'm 54 now, so a couple decades plus there. How about you? Yeah, I came out when I was 21, mm-hmm. uh, although I really actually technically came out when I was eight, but then mm-hmm. I went right back in. I had a camp mm. counselor I was had the hots for, but. I think oh, I was yeah. out for 20 minutes to myself, and then I went back right. until I was 21. I came out after I had been in the workforce for a while. Were you out the whole time that you have been working in the food industry? I, yes, I have been. And I've worked for, like, I specifically sought out either places that had queer people working there or were owned or run by queer folks um, to both good and bad results, honestly, which mm-hmm. was actually a... A pretty good lesson for me as a young cook was that it's good to have a safe space where you can be openly yourself, but just because someone's queer doesn't mean they're going to be kind. Mm. And I I learned that lesson. Mm. So it it ultimately didn't matter in the future where I ended up working, whether they were queer or not queer. I just wanted to make sure that they were kind. That's interesting. Did you ever encounter much homophobia at all, like in a kitchen space or in culinary school or anything like that? I I have encountered homophobia, but not in the restaurant business in Seattle, which is just a a place where a lot of different folks, not your standard type of person can even handle being in a kitchen space. So we attracted a lot of um, uh, marginalized uh, characters. And so I never mm-hmm. really felt in Seattle uh, marginalized in restaurant spaces. Um, but I absolutely did as a woman. So, mm. but not as a queer person. Um, right. So it was harder being, you know, one of the only women working in a restaurant. It was um, not an issue who I slept with or not and how I identified right. or not. Do you think that has changed at all? Well, hopefully it. As far as the the your gender, I I, I would like to think it's gotten a, a lot lot better. There's definitely more mm-hmm. women working in the space, and I think that that has to break open um, a lot of yeah. the you know really very hard abuses that women would get back in the day for being in that mm-hmm. space. Um, I mm-hmm. I had to work twice as hard to prove myself. I was constantly mm-hmm. being like watched more than guys were. Um, mm-hmm. I had to kind of adjust my gender expression to be more one of the guys. Wow. So I think that gender wise, it kind of played with my psyche a little bit. Um, Right. But, you know, that's all part of queer space anyway, is kind of figuring all that out. And so the more diversity you can have of gender expression with so many people identifying as uh, non-binary, I think that that will all help to equalize treatment 
Um, and that's, that's yeah. where we want to be. Well, someone I think that we both identified with when we met at the Good Food Connections event was Marissa Figueroa from Electric Habitat as we were working our way through the tasting room with all the local vendors. And Marissa and her pickled celery was one of our <laughs> <laughs> highlights of the event. And uh, we had a chance to get to know Marissa a little better with an interview that we did recently. Let's take a listen. My name is Marissa Figueroa, and I am the owner of Electric Habitat, and we make small batch pickles and hot sauce. Awesome. So how did you get started in the food industry? I worked in the like restaurant industry my whole life. It was like my get through college job. I majored in music, and so I would just work in restaurants, and I just never stopped. I was just like, I really enjoy doing this. Mm -hmm. So not that I would do much with my music degree anyways. I worked my way up the ladder from having no experience to going from like prep cook, line cook, executive chef, and then I ended up owning my own restaurant, which was very exciting. But when COVID came in 2020, it was like, I did not want to be a restaurant owner anymore. Yeah. And so I always made pickles and I would give them to friends and people loved them. You know, when I closed my restaurant, my good friend who is a coffee roaster and I worked with him at the restaurant, he was like, hey, I know like you're going through a really tough time, but like everyone loves your pickles and like you should think about going into the wholesale route. And I was like, I don't know. I've always been like a cook and I wasn't sure, but there wasn't too many options right. during COVID. And it was one of those, let's throw spaghetti on a wall and see what happens kinds of things. And um, people loved my hot sauce at the restaurant. Uh -huh. um, people would buy like 25, like two ounce ramekins of my hot sauce because wow. um, that's the only way they could get it. And they would beg me to bottle it. But I was just like, I don't have time for that. I own a restaurant. So I just, I gave it a shot and it was just like, if it works, cool. If it doesn't, not much else going on in my life right now. Yeah. So, you know. Let the pickles fall where they may. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And let's go back a little bit. You opened the restaurant Bloom Bistro in White Center right. just yeah. as the pandemic lockdown hit. What was your vision for Bloom? So I always had a vision of a community space that had like fresh food and Everything was like farm to table style. I worked with all local farmers and all the farms I worked with were either woman owned, queer owned, or like family owned farms, mostly uh, women and queer owned farms, which is amazing. And I just wanted to bring fresh food to a space that people of all walks of life could come and hang out and get something really quality, but I really wanted my price point to be something for everybody. Mm -hmm. So I always had on my menu a $5 option, like a nice meal that somebody could get for $5, but it was really like, pay what you can. White Center is a neighborhood that experiences a lot of economic disparity. So I wanted to recognize that. And so every day we had something on our menu that was affordable, that somebody could come in, get a nice hot meal and that had protein and vegetables and something that was affordable and sustainable. Mm -hmm. I really love that that was a commitment that you guys stuck to. I think that's really amazing because I'm, I've been working in restaurants most of my career as well. And the margins are so slim that to be able to be generous in that way is it's pretty special. So thank you for doing that while you as long as yeah. you could. Yeah. 
Margins are thin, but there's also like a ton of food waste in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was something that I also really wanted to battle. I'll, maybe the meals weren't the most beautiful, maybe not Instagram worthy meals. It was something that was, you know, good for you and that you could, anyone could afford. I love that. Yeah. And maybe moving away from Instagrammable meals is a direction that would we need to go towards. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe a lot of people could benefit from that for sure. <laughs> so you made the pivot towards pickling. And when we met at Good Food Connections, you explained to us the story behind your business name, Electric Habitat. Could you share that story again with our listeners? Yeah, which P.S. is like the best name. And I think I told you that day. And I was not at all surprised you were a music major and musician because it's just it sounds like a rock band or a punk band. It's so cool. Yeah, everything I did was a lesson, whether it was like something that worked out or something not. And one thing at Bloom that I felt like I really learned from was having like really solid branding and image for your company because I was always like, I'm going to let my food speak for myself. I don't need a lot of advertising or branding, but you know, I learned that it is pretty important because a lot of people eat with their eyes, but Mm. Electric Habitat is the name of a song from my favorite band, which is called Turquoise. They're not a band any longer, but they, you know, were together for over a decade. They were a power funk band from New York city. And I was first thing I want to do, I'm going to start this new company. I want a name that like I can build a brand image around. And I was just listening to music, trying to just get creative. And the song came on Electric Habitat. And I was just like, this is a really cool name. And mm-hmm. I just put all the connections together of like electric and like electricity and things that are alive. We all have electricity kind of like running throughout us. And um, every little jar that I make is a little habitat inside of a container. And I was like, that's just really cool. That's true. I didn't even think about that level of it with the live stuff that's happening in there. And also electric terrarium was taken. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a conversation point for a lot of people. They come up and they're like, electric habitat, what is that? And going through this story, I get this reaction kind of a lot where they're like, wow, that's so cool. So I love the name of the company. And I, I really wanted something very broad. Everyone's, oh, you should name it Marissa's Pickles. And I was like, yeah, but then I, <laughs> I have to make pickles. Yeah. Like, what if I want to just use this company and pivot? What if it didn't work out? Then I, you know, I could still pivot. I could make bread or something yeah. else, keep the company name and, you know, really you know, in the future to open my product line to pretty much whatever I want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's something we all learned from the pandemic is how to pivot and be nimble and be ready to deal with the the next uncertainty that life throws at you. Yeah, absolutely. So the band no longer exists, but their inspiration lives on through your products. So you make pickles and more. Tell us a little bit more about what Electric Habitat produces. So my signature pickle is my zesty dill pickle. And that is like, a dill pickle with a little extra zing on it. We make rosemary-infused pickled red onions, which are super popular. My pickled beets are infused with fresh-cut tarragon. Those are also very popular. And I also make pickled celery. Woo! (laughs) Big fan, big fan. And then pickled jalapenos. Then my three hot sauces, I have a dillapeno, which is a dill pickle and fire-roasted jalapeno hot sauce. Using our signature zesty dill pickles in there, which is such a fun sauce. I love that one. 
Rage Factory hot sauce, which is a carrot fennel habanero sauce that was my signature hot sauce. That was the one at the restaurant that everybody loved. And it's called Rage Factory because that was actually my nickname in college in the band I played in. <laughs> no way. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I played in a big brass band. They all called me Rage Factory. I played the drums. <laughs> Wait, quick interruption here. Does that mean that yeah. you created Rage or that you like your music would soothe soothe rage? Um, it was creating rage, but not anger rage, more of passion and like the fuel behind the band, being the drummer, the drive, the fuel that got everybody going. So people think of like rage as angry. I think of rage in a like passionate way. Less rage against the machine and more passion. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> and then uh, my last product for now is the Bangarang hot sauce. It's a Thai chili and lemongrass hot sauce. So it's got a, a little bit of an Asian Pacific Island flavor profile. That's also a very popular one. Really unique sauce. So they have eight products so far in my line. And uh, I've been working with my farmer friends, seeing what's growing, um, maybe what's new this year, maybe add a couple more products. I might add the little... Um, Pickled cherry peppers, they're like the little mm. mild, like, bell-shaped peppers. Those are a fun one. I've been wanting to do those for a while, but I haven't had a farmer grow them. And one of the farmers I work with, Frog Song Farm, the owner, Nate, called me up over the winter and was like, hey, I'm thinking about growing those little cherry peppers. Like, do you, would you do anything with those? And I was like, yeah, I've been <laughs> looking, like... You, you read my mind. And <laughs> I have a lot of farmers that I work with that we have that relationship where, you know, they will grow things and just send them my way and say, here you go, do your thing. So That's awesome. Cool. And I know that you, with Electric Habitat, and as you mentioned with Bloom Bistro, you focus on locally grown, sustainable ingredients for your products. How do you find and connect with those local vendors and farmers that you want to work with? So when I started Bloom, I knew that my goal was to work with farmers that I could relate to and farmers that were using practices that like I could get behind. And I wanted to just work with those smaller kind of mid-level farms because mm -hmm. um, that's really where a lot of the like heart of the agriculture is. Mm. I literally looked just online. I like typed into Google like queer farm Washington, something like that. Mm -hmm. And I found, this is a crazy story. I found a rising sign farm and I messaged them and was like, hey, I'm starting this business. And they were like, yeah, we'd love to work with you. And I found out that Emma, who owns Risenstein Farm, we grew up in the towns next to each other back on the East Coast, wow. back in, in Massachusetts. And I only knew that because we I called her on the phone one day and I was like, why do you have a 978 number? We live in Washington. And we found out that we grew up just couple miles away from each other so we just wow. built a connection and and um she said hey i know all these other farmers i'm gonna send them your way and so that's really how i i made one connection and just that opened up a lot of doors and since then working like farmers markets just meeting your local farmers and having conversation and supporting them i never negotiate price with my farmers whatever they say is what they get because they're doing a lot of really hard work. So just showing your 
appreciation for the people out there on the farms doing their part is, I think, really important. Mm -hmm. That's great. Wow, that's some queer kismet that happened with that first connection. I was going to say kismet. You took the queer kismet right out of my mouth. (laughs) That's my job. Yeah. It's crazy how those things happen sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, you you landed on like the queer, underground queer farming network that I didn't even know existed. There's a ton of small queer-owned farms in Washington. I had no idea. With the politics here, it's one of the more safe haven sites for queer folks in this country. And so there's a lot of smaller farms even popping up every day uh, here in Washington. And there's a pretty strong queer agriculture-like network in the state. And you have a queer partner in business and love. How did you and Miranda meet? Uh, This is another funny story. I don't know if she wants me to tell this on the internet, but I'm doing it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We both played music and uh, she was on tour with her band from out here in Washington in back in Massachusetts, where I was living at the time. And I went to an after party of the festival and um, she fell asleep on the toilet. And I was like, who the hell is this girl falling asleep on the toilet? And we just met and became friends. And then fast forward a couple of years, I had an opportunity to move out here. I had a friend that had an open room. It was like, if you want to come out to Washington for a summer and just hang out and play some music, you can stay in my house. So I said, sure, why not? And I just settled here from that and we were best friends and we ended up just started dating and fell in love and she was just like the yin to my yang in this whole situation she had a background in food as well she worked in the seattle chapter of food not bombs for a lot of years where she's like where i got a lot of my knowledge of battling food waste and like food sustainability and we just developed this idea together of this restaurant that while it was somewhat short-lived, it like really just jet-streamed us into this direction of what we want to do. What's so, like, your experience been like as a queer couple working together in the local food industry? It's Washington, so people are very mostly very supportive of us. The one thing that can be a little difficult is like during Pride Month, we get asked to do a lot of events to be like the token queer business. They're like, oh, we're doing a pride thing, so will you be involved? But, like, you're the only queer business. You're going to be, like, our token queers. We're going to put you on display. Which is, like, I just decided, like, last year that I'm not doing any more events, like, pride events that are not run by queer people because you get a lot of that tokenization. But I love what we have. Like, I love being an openly queer-owned business. If we do events or farmer's markets... I'll put the pride flags out on the tables and it brings in a lot of people that are just like really excited to see some queer owned small businesses. And there's a lot of kids, like a lot of children that are are like, oh, that's so cool. And to be inspiring to like younger queer people of things might be weird in your life right now, but look at (laughs) we're like weird queer people and like we own a business and made a life for ourselves. So That's really cool. I mean, we've had people like bring their kids over to us and say like, I want to show them that like they can do whatever they want. And that's just, that's awesome. That's an icing on the cake for us to just be an inspiration to 
younger queer people or even older queer people, like, you know, for anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty damn inspiring and and I'm a lot older than you are. So yeah, don't be surprised at how that inspiration can move around. And it's just another example of how important representation is, you know, for the kid who's never seen or heard of a queer farmer or a queer restaurateur or a queer pickler. And just seeing that and knowing that that is an option, that is a direction, that is a life that people can have. And maybe it never got mentioned or taught in school. So it really is important, I think. And and I think it's something also that we ourselves in the queer community can take for granted in our metropolitan bubbles. But when you step outside and you go to the farmer's market in eastern Oregon or something like that, then you're going to have a different experience and and really feel the impact of your presence in a situation like that. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. some farmer's markets and stuff we've done that maybe were in areas that people didn't appreciate as much, but... It's a joy of being a business owner. I just say, we're not going to do that again. There's a lot of people who love to support our business. And there's some people who are, you can tell, are not super comfortable with the fact that we're queer, but they love our product. And they just show up and shut their mouth and, and still support us, which I'm like, as long as you are respectful and you seem to like my product, so I'm just going to... Appreciate that. Changing hearts and minds one pickle at a time. One queer pickle at a time. Yeah. And if you don't like it, we'll just pack up our queer pickles and take them somewhere else. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Beyond farmers markets, how can people find electric habitat products? On our website, we do have an option to buy all of our products online and we ship throughout the 50 United States, I think, and Canada too. And then also on our website, I always post a calendar of where we'll be locally. Um, I do a lot of events and pop-ups and as well as my regular farmer's markets. So I'm kind of just bebopping around. I go as far north here in Washington as like Bellingham. As far south, we've done some things like in Puyallup and south of there and as far as east at Leavenworth and stuff. So we are starting to build our production back up to get into a couple local grocery stores around the uh, Western Washington area. So tell me, are you working more or less than when you were in the restaurant business? I'm working a similar amount, I would say, maybe a little less, but it is hours that I can dictate a little bit more, which I love. I constantly am like, I'm going to open another restaurant. And then I like, Remember, oh, when you own a place, like you have to be there when you tell people you're going to be there. And I haven't had to have that aspect of my life in a few years now. And it's just, it's a little bit more freedom. If I want to do something, I play in a couple local bands. If I want to perform or go to a rehearsal, I can say, well, I'm not going to do this now. I'll do it later. But I still have to do it later. It's just that I can not do it at any structured time. Quick shout out to your local bands you play with. I play in a band called Neon Brass Party right now. It is a local horn and drum band that plays pop covers and also play in a percussion drum street band 
called Crash Band. Oh, you're in Crash Band? Yeah. I know Crash Band. Yeah. And then I also play in Red Alert, the official brass band for the Seattle Kraken hockey team. Do you play it at all the Kraken games with Red Alert? So the band plays at all the games, but there's a lot of home games. So I play at about 80% of them. I love hockey. I grew up with hockey, so I try to go to all of them that I can. Okay, Crash Band I saw on the street in the U District once. Amazing. That's a pretty fun group. So much fun. Okay, cool. Are we ready to have some more fun? As if we weren't having fun already? Yeah, I've been having fun this whole time. It's been fun. And I'm so ready. I'm chomping at the bit to hear the hot takes. Do you want to lead the hot takes challenge? I'd be happy to. Yeah. We do this thing called hot takes. And basically, we just throw out like two choices for you and you pick one. And you can talk about why you pick the one or the other. But it's just sort of like a fun, rapid fire way to get to know you through food and locations and preferences and things like that. Does that sound like fun to you? I love this. Keith, can I make a slight adaptation to this week's version? Keith's nicer than I am. Keith sometimes lets people slide with a both or I couldn't decide or it depends on the weather. And I'm going to say, you seem like a tough chick to me. So I'm going to say, you got to commit. You got to pick one. Deal. You good with that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hot okay, here takes. we go. Hot takes. Hot dogs or hamburgers? Oh. Faster. <laughs> what was it? Hot dogs. <laughs> wow, that was a stumper right off the that bat. That was a stumper. Oh, right? Yeah, I love me a good cheeseburger. Like, I really do. But <laughs> I hot dog just hits in, in like a special spot. You said you're from Massachusetts? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm from New Jersey. I also have a hard time with that question. Like, one of the hardest questions you could ask. All right. Well, let's. we have some other good ones here. Okay. <laughs> okay. Try not to overthink it, though. That's where you get okay, it gets hard. Okay. Donut or muffin? <sighs> muffin, but grilled. Mm. grilled yeah i think that's an east coast thing that i've never seen like anywhere else but like if you go to a diner like back east or like back you know massachusetts if you get a muffin they cut it in half and they put it on the flat top like with some butter so it gets like a nice crunchy oh yeah um, yeah that's top notch yeah i think it must be massachusetts because i don't we didn't we didn't get never the grilled, grilled well it's <laughs> you gotta try it all right okay ready randy yep. carlisle or pink Oh, pink. Pink. Yeah. Yeah. I love both. That would be really hard, Keith. That's yeah. a hard one. I don't like I, I'm glad I didn't have to answer that one. <laughs> okay. Um, strawberry or banana? Do you want me to use the banana as pickled banana? No, no. I was oh, just put that what? in there because we were joking that like we were asking, like, are you going to pickle banana when we met you at Good Oh, Food that's right. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So strawberry or banana? Strawberry. Okay. Ocean mm -hmm. or lake? Ocean. You know, poor, you know, lakes have a really have had a bad rap. No one's picked lake. I, I don't love think them both, so. but yeah, I, I like being if on the If you have to choose. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Space Needle or the Great Wheel? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Go with, go with like a, like a, a feminine circle or a phallus. There we go. Okay, well, I mean, that's kind of a biased question there, but I don't know. They're both touristy places. But I'm, I'm going to let you say both on that one. Yeah. Okay. Burian or Edmonds? Oh, uh, I got to say Burian. I I just moved to Burian, so I'm here. I, I, I love Burian, but right. uh, 
Edmonds is the very first farmer's market I ever was a part of. And I love Edmonds. I love going there. I have a huge customer base. So I do shout out to Edmonds. Love, <laughs> love y'all. But Burian. Edmonds, did you hear that? You just got a shout out. Yeah. Uh, Elliot Page or Jinx Monsoon? Elliot Page. Ooh, lovely. St. Vincent or Christine and the Queens? Ooh, I guess St. Vincent. Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. going, I'm going Christine. You didn't ask me, Keith, but I'm going Christine and the Queens. I just saw Christine at Coachella and they blew my mind. And he's now officially on my would watch eat a sandwich list. Do you really have a would watch eat a sandwich list? That is amazing. I do. Okay. <laughs> I, I want to see this list. Yeah, that's a good list. We got four more for you. Elton John or Sam Smith? Oh, I guess... I guess I have to go with Elton John. The classic. classic. Yeah, the classic. This one I have a feeling might stump you. Oh, no. Or not. Mustard or mayo? Oh, mustard. Love mustard. Okay. It, it, the hot dog thing made me think you'll probably pick mustard. Mustard, pickling, they kind of go hand in They kind of go together. Right? I'm not a mayo person, but that's because I'm kind of bougie about food and like I make aioli at home like all the time and I, it's all I would eat as far as a mayo option. Ah, good to know. And I'm like anti-bougie when it comes to mayo. Like I like <laughs> best food. Like I grew up with yeah. Hellman's mayo and I'm like, I, ma- I made my own aiolis in all my restaurant jobs and they're fine, but like, no, they're not that much better than best foods. I love that mayo, man. <laughs> um, sponsor us, best foods. Just kidding. We are a local, <laughs> small agricultural <laughs> food culture show. We are not wanting best foods. We wouldn't accept it anyway, right, Keith? Next. Okay. (laughs) Carrot or corn? This is the hardest one. Carrot. Yeah. Only because it is one of the main ingredients in my Rage Factory hot sauce, and it would not be the sauce that it is without the carrots. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Last one. This one was the, the one that broke my brain. (laughs) <laughs> when I was when I was offered this, okay, um, oil or vinegar? Oh well, I'm a pickler, so I gotta say vinegar. I, yeah. yeah, I didn't think no. it would break yeah. your brain. Hey, do you think we're gonna see Electric Habitat be the official pickler of the Kraken? I did try to get a hold of upper management to see if I could make an official Kraken hot sauce, but I didn't get very far. But I didn't put too much effort into it. But I would like to in the future, make an official Kraken hot sauce. I got a couple of ideas poking around in my head of like flavor profiles, but I haven't really gone too far in depth with it. But who knows? You might see it in the future. Love it. Cool. Thanks so much for being on Field to Fork with Becky and I today. It was really great to meet you at Good Food Connections. And you were at the top of our list after that event of like people that we wanted to get to know more. It's really exciting. The success that you've had with Electric Habitat pivoting out of the pandemic trash fire that we all (laughs) sort of went through. So congratulations on all the the success and um, can't wait to see what's next for you and the Electric Habitat crew. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the both of you and your podcast and you inviting me on your show. It's been very fun. It was great having you. It was so great to get to know Marissa better beyond just the pickled celery thing that we love. (laughs) I mean, so many things that I loved about this interview and I loved about how they 
care so much about um, making food approachable and accessible to people. And that really mm-hmm. hit a note with me. Um, and then I just had a fangirl about Crash Band. And <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> check them out, y'all. They're amazing. Um, yeah. And the fact that Marissa plays for the Kraken. Um, but the note, the pivoting, the c- commitment and the passion that those two have for for food and accessibility and for being proud and out queer folks is just it's just wonderful. I'm so happy that we're able to bring this out to more people. Visibility, man. Absolutely. Visibility, representation, and making a choice between oil and vinegar, however it may easy. land. That was mm-hmm. easy. I, I really, I mean. I knew it would be because of the pickling connection. I mean, how does a pickler yeah. exist without vinegar? Also, like, it's true. I mean. Uh, it's like the sound of one hand clapping. Yeah, or, is, yeah, does a tree fall without vinegar? <laughs> <laughs> also, like, grilled muffins, y'all. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait to rush out buy like one of those big cases of Costco blueberry muffins and just grill the heck out of them. Hey, don't be surprised if I start my own business and hang out my own shingle that's called Queer Muffin because it's going to happen. <laughs> or hot muffins. Yeah, we're going to have bear pickles and hot muffin. <laughs> I'm there. And if you haven't heard our last two episodes about the Good Food Connections event, including an interview with Mariah DeLeo from Seattle Good Business Network, who was so instrumental in putting that on, and then our own on-the-scene interviews with people that we met at Good Food Connections, you should definitely go back and listen to those as soon as you get done with this, right? Where I kind of sound a little drunk. I have to, I mean, I know I, I don't, I wasn't drunk, Keith, but like. I know. I was just slurry. I was, I was drunk on connection. Uh-huh. You were high on life. I was I was really high on life. <laughs> and there's a reason why you do most of the interviewing. Because <laughs> I'm nervous as hell. <laughs> no, you're just you've just got that like sexy, dulcet tones mm. of that oh, warm, beardy man. And I'm just Ooh. like, I just come in with my high pitched little squeaks here and there and mm-hmm. give color commentary. It's it's a good team. Well, yeah, I think we're doing great. <laughs> Yay! That's it for this episode of Field to Fork. If you like what you heard, make sure you don't miss a moment. Hit that follow button on your podcast player app. And while you're there, you could also leave us a great review. I know you've got it in you. And why stop there? Take a second to share our show with your friends and family. And if you have story ideas for Becky and I to explore together in future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a DM on Instagram and Facebook, where our handle on both platforms is at Field to Fork Podcast. Might as well go ahead and follow our socials there too, right? Field to Fork is a Made with Bacon production, all rights reserved. Interviews have been edited for brevity and clarity. I'm Keith Bacon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>